Sometimes after our uh, worship through praise, I sit there and this thought runs through my head, Tom, don't fumble the ball. They brought it to the end zone. Just get out of the way and let Jesus continue to make himself great. So that's my goal, to get out of the way. For us to, in that way, we need to encounter Christ today, uh, we encounter him. It's a word of challenge, a word of encouragement, a word of healing, a word of grace, a word of peace. We are in part three of our five-part series that we have entitled Hard Obedience. And we are uh, at halfway point, and then next week we're going to move into the New Testament and identify a couple of moments where people were asked by God to do extremely difficult things as well. Uh, today, our message is entitled, Horns and Shouts, and we'll get into that in just a second. Father, I thank you once again for this moment. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited us to encounter you every moment of every day of our lives. Thank you that... Uh, that invitation that you have extended has not been rescinded and that we can take you up on that at any time because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, I pray again that uh, all distractions would be set aside and that we would enjoy with, without hindrance the wonder of your presence together in our last few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago now, our church family was invited into a hard obedience moment. And I, you know, I get a little fuzzy on all details. So those of you who say, oh, wait a minute, Tom, time out, time out. You could correct me afterwards. I'm okay with that. But it, was, uh, it, it began at about that 8 to 10 year mark ago, somewhere in there. One of the elders at the time uh, had a real fire in his belly. And his passion was the children and our teenagers. And he was, as most of us in leadership at that time, were very concerned uh, that when families brought their kids to church, the teenagers were put up into attics. There you go, enjoy your attic, right? And that the little, little ones were all masked in a gym, which the acoustics are amazing in there, and then would break into little groups and crammed into four little rooms that really said to moms and dads, we are not prepared to receive you or your family. And that was the tough space that the leadership was in. This particular elder was given permission to form a recon team, if you will, to lay out both size, dimensions, interview all and talk to all people who, who would be a part of this, talking to parents, I mean, just everything and anywhere and everywhere, going to visit different places, 
uh, gathering, 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 and I'll shorten the story, uh, that it came to a place at point in time that the builder was selected and the plans were approved and it was submitted to the eldership to either move forward or not. And the recommendation of the committee was we can't afford not to go forward. Let's go. And it would be disingenuous of me to say anything other than those conversations were hard. I mean hard. You think about an expansion that would require in the neighborhood of a million dollars, none of which we had. And then you put into that conversation uh, the idea of borrowing money. You put into the idea of, hey, let's modify the plans in some way. And man, it, it was just rumbled around for a really long time. And eventually came to a singular voice saying, okay, we're going to go for it, but we're not borrowing any money. Now that uh, 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 launched into a whole bunch of other conversations that were really, really hard as well. And so the campaign was launched and the need was obvious to everybody. And the, the, the level of involvement and the level of ownership from our church family was absolutely staggering. Within a few short months, there was over $400,000 in this brand new building fund. And everybody said, well, where did that come from? I have no idea. So we're just going to thank the Lord for that. A few more weeks went by and one of the elders came to the meeting and said, I'm being pressed in my spirit that God is not only asking us to step out in faith to build this building, he is asking us to start now before all the money is here. Those were hard conversations, really hard meetings, intense at every level. And eventually, again, uh, it came to the place where that, that conviction that he was feeling was confirmed by the rest of the leadership team. And we approached the builder and asked, do you do this in stages? Sure, we will do that. We've done it before. And it just so happened we had just enough money at that time for the entire building to be put under roof and out of the weather. And so, elders came before the church family and said, it's happening. It's go time. And uh, we all who were here remember seeing the cranes and all of this. And when the cement pad was laid, I spent a lot of time there. You would have been hard put to see a day go by where you didn't see me walking around. It was dry at that point, by the way. I didn't put footprints or anything in there. So, and I'm walking around and I'm going, Lord... We don't have any money to finish this deal. Uh, you know, you don't come through. This is bad. Help. And we prayed. We waited and we prayed. Construction began. People, again, 
just giving so generously. Where is this coming from? It's from the Lord through the hearts and minds of his people. And the building kept going, but it did come to a place eventually where it was the builder coming to us saying, I need to make another draw to get to the next phase. But there wasn't any money to draw. He says, I got about a week, maybe two of work that I can do before I need those materials. Oh, Lord, this is a moment. We're here. There is nothing any of us can do. I cannot print money. I cannot uh, tell anybody to share theirs. God, help. Before those two weeks expired, more and more gifts continued to pour in. Once again, maybe twice again, it came up to that edge. God, we believe this is of you. We believe you've asked us to take this step of hard obedience. Our eyes are on you. Construction process never paused. Down to the last dollar, but it never paused. Continued to completion. All to God's glory, not any of us. And I believe this is right. After the dedication. We had an individual who had promised that in the next year they would give $100,000 to support the project, but the project was done. All the furnishings, everything. We even had a, a member say, hey, we need a road and a parking lot. And I said, well, we don't have any money for a road and a pocket parking lot we've got to finish the building and he was oh don't worry about it and he just wrote a check and paid for a road and a parking lot and there's a huge holding tank underneath that parking lot out there that had to be added to meet codes he covered it all this individual said, I'm, I, I'm here to honor my commitment. I said I would give this money. And I said, hey, you know what? Um, it's finished. And he kind of smiled and in so many words kind of asked me, he said, do you think this is going to be the last time that God asks us to step out in hard obedience? Mm, probably not. He goes, this is for the next one. Proceeded to write a check for $100,000. Hard obedience is that obedience where I don't have the safety net. 
no plan B's, no plan C's. I just stand and all I have is the word of God. And that's it. God said it and I trust him. I read it in his word and I'm going. I'm going with him. And it's there at that point each of us are going to come to in our own lives. Some of us are in that moment right now where we are in a crisis of faith. There's a, there's a, a, a hard obedience that sits before us. We know what the word of God says. We've been trying to kind of noise ourselves out of that conviction of our heart that is unending, that burning in our belly, if you will. And, and we're saying, ah, it's a crisis of faith. Will I trust God and step forward or will I not? Our story today is quite encouraging to us. As we see uh, an, an individual, a man named Joshua, who's a warrior. As you get to know Joshua in Scripture, you say to yourself, at least I did, you know what, I, I'd kind of like to have him on my team. He's the kind of guy that you want to go into a dark alley with. He's not the kind of guy you want to run into in the dark alley. Joshua was a warrior, fearless, whatever. I'm in, if it's of God, fearless, courageous, strong, exactly what God told him before he set him on the mission of leading the people of Israel. We find them at this place. They are on the other side of the Jordan River. They are coming into the promised land that God has given them. They come up to an enemy in a very formidable fortress for the day, one that nobody else had been able to sack, to take over. They had a, a, a double set of walls and a little berm between, and at the, I was reading about, about 14 feet high, and, and, and it, it, it had, when it was shut and locked and gates and all of that, they even had within the walls their own water supply, which would make starving or trying to, you know, put them under siege a, a much more difficult conversation. And this was battle number one for Joshua. Let's read it together. We are in Joshua chapter 5. We'll read the first, uh, well, we read 13 through 15 and then Chapter 6, the first 5, and then Hebrews 11.30, the New Testament commentary on this particular incident. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand, and true to his nature, Joshua went right up to him and he demanded, are you friend or foe? That's the way Joshua rolled. Neither one. That's a very telling comment, by the way. Don't ever say, God's on my side. He's not on your side. He's on my side. He ain't on any of our sides. He's on his side. And the question is, are we with him? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Whoa. 
At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. And here we are immediately taken back to the scene of Moses at the mountain at the burning bush where God speaks to him there. And he says, Moses, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. And here we see it again. What made this? It's just dirt. Why in the world is this holy dirt? Well, it's holy dirt because of who is there. Who is there made it holy. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march, march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and the walls of the town will collapse. And the people can charge straight into the town. And as the story unfolds, that is exactly what happened. There's a few observations we need to make, probably a lot more, but I will uh, ask and encourage you to pursue that in your own studies. One point of hard obedience we see here is that it requires spending time with Jesus. Who is this commander of the Lord's army? Who is this that in their presence the ground is holy and sandals need to be removed? Can I tell you the commentaries on this are very long, very thick, very opinionated. So I will leave that study to you. However, I will say that many of the more conservative biblical scholars understand that this person talking to, Jesus, to Joshua, and Joshua and Jesus are the same name, by the way, Yeshua, and is none other than Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem a pre-incarnation of the person of Christ, revealing himself to Joshua because what he was asking Joshua to do was kind of crazy. And so he wanted him to have the knowledge of who it was asking him to do it. Time with Jesus is needed if we're going to be positioned well for hard obedience. Always. We've talked about this before. We aren't going to follow somebody we don't know. We aren't going to put, put ourselves on the line for somebody we don't trust. And there's only one way to build a connection, to build trust with another person, and that is to spend time with them, experience them, walk 
with them. So we come to a place one day where they say, go shout at walls, and we say, okay, it's a great idea, just like Joshua did. My encouragement to you and myself is that we establish a quiet time in our lives. What's needed for said quiet time? Well, quiet time, the Word, and a place. Where is that in your world? Where's that quiet space where you're with the Word of God and you're meeting with Him? You're listening to Him talk to you through His Word. He's informing your faith. He's teaching you about Himself. You're sharing your heart and you're hearing his heart. Where is that place? We encourage you. As James encourages us, chapter 3, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is incredible. This, this decision to pursue him he promises he'll meet me there. And yet days, weeks, months go by and the throne room door, as far as we're concerned, is never opened. It wasn't Joshua's way. He was the guy who, when Moses would meet with God in the tabernacle, he would go with Moses. And Moses would leave, and Joshua would stay. He'd stay in the tabernacle to hang out with God. Loved him. Pursued him. Wanted nothing more than to be with him. It was the pattern of his life, and it prepared him for the adventure of a lifetime. In verse 2, we see something very important. God telling Joshua, let me tell you something. I've given you Jericho. I've given you its king. I have given you all its strong warriors. You see, the Lord wanted to be sure that Joshua and the people of Israel never got confused about who won the fight. Another Another judge later, Gideon, he had a, you know, 30,000 or whatever, and God said, that's too many, because if you win this battle, you're going to think you did it. No, you're going in with 300, just so you know, that the victory is mine. Joshua, the victory is mine, and it reminds us very clearly that, that it is never works, God works. Tracking with me? It never works, God works. You see, you and I, we have a problem uh, of being distracted by formulas. With me here? So if I see, hey, I see in that person's life, they do this, 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 and this. Well, I guess I'm gonna do that, that, and that. I remember my first church, 
uh, there was this big church in the Chicago area, and it was like, wow. And so uh, we started one here in the Indianapolis area. And so it, it became just a matter of let's do what they are doing. Let's just yeah, literally... Let's say what they are saying, the same sermons, the same songs, the same everything. One of the leaders even drove all the way up to Chicago so they could measure the size of the sign to make sure the sign was the same size out in the front yard because it works, right? No, it never works. God works. Joshua and you and I needed to be reminded of this. Could you imagine Joshua? Hey, handbook on how to take a city. Step one, get some horns. Find a few guys that can blow on them. Who's coming to that seminar? Right? Is, is, the, is, is the Naval Academy or any of our military, hey, we got to get Joshua's battle plan. It was gold. Let's get a bunch of people to blow horns and just kind of run around it. But they can't say anything till the seventh day. Then they're going to run around it seven times. And then they're going to yell at the walls. This is just great. Let's do that. Because that works, right? No. I don't think he wrote his book on three easy ways to take a city. It was too crazy. <laughs> Who does that? Only somebody who's listening to somebody who already won the victory. That's who does that. God works, not it. God works. Mm time to turn from all these little formulas, turn from all of these places where we are seeking hope, and to turn our heart and our attention and our mind to the Lord, and to seek Him above all other things. Hope in something other than Him is sinking sand. Sooner or later, the storm will rise up that will wipe that, ho that hope right down to the ground. When we have our attention and we have our minds and we have our hearts on God, the source of hope and of life, we are in that place of strong foundation. We're in that place of stability. We're in that place, as we'll talk about later, where our souls can actually and truly find rest. Another observation we need to make in verse 5. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town there's going to be moments where a step of hard obedience that God is calling you to, is going, it, it inevitably will provide a people an opportunity to ridicule you. To ridicule you. It, 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 it provides a reason 
to ridicule and looking back at some of the things that God's asked us to do personally. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What are you doing that for? That's not going to, what are you doing? That That ain't going to work, you know, blah, blah. And I think, whoa, boy, that was hard. And sometimes we don't anticipate the reality, perhaps, that uh, Noah received. We don't know, but from the people around him, what are you building, Noah? I'm building an ark. (laughs) We're doing what? That's stupid. It's never flooded, man. And he was there for like, I don't know, 100 years building this thing. Hey, hey, Abraham, where have you, where have you been? He comes home, Sarah. Hey, where have you been? Well, I was up there sacrificing our son. <laughs> and she goes, you what? That's crazy. You don't do that. Well, God told me to do that, but he stopped me. It's crazy. You don't do that. Joshua, could you imagine? Okay, you got day one, rams marching around, and all the guys come back to camp. Is that it? That today? Well, what are we going to do now? I don't know. Let's skip, skip rocks on the Jordan. I don't know what we're doing now. That's, we just did it. That's day two. We're going to go do it again. It's like, hey, Joshua, what's the real plan? This is kind of dumb. I'm a little embarrassed. I'm not going to lie here, buddy. This is weird. And these people on the wall, they're laughing at us. They're throwing stuff at us. This is dumb. Can we shoot something, do something, you know, get a pole and run it into them? What's the deal here? This, is, this isn't working. Day three, four, five, day seven. Oh, oh you guys can't go home. We're going to do it seven times. Oh, that's a great idea. The ridicule. Be prepared for that. You need to understand why that is. Isaiah helps us, records the words of the Lord for us. Why is it that this hard obedience at times is going to be a reason for people to ridicule? What are you doing that for? That doesn't make any sense. Isaiah 55, verse 8, the Lord's speaking. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. In my ways far beyond anything you could imagine. Hey, we could give Joshua a million years. He's not going to come up with that battle plan. He's just not. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And people not engaged with the word or the Lord, and some who are, even still when they encounter a decision on your part that is moved of the spirit, is coming from the word of God, will say, what are you doing? What are you doing? We had some dear friends, dear friends come to us when when we felt God was calling us to adopt this little guy from Ukraine. And we didn't have a choice. It was a hard obedience moment. And they said, what are you doing? You can't do that. You're having a hard enough time feeding the four kids you already have. What are you thinking adding another one? That's dumb. Man, that was hard to hear from my friend hard 
We're talking about heart obedience, aren't we? It's time that we, that we get on the proactive side of this and feed our faith. How do we feed our faith? Let me give you three R's today. We feed our faith by reading. Reading the Word of God, not just to ourselves, but with our spouse, with our kids. Where else are they going to hear a crazy story about yelling at walls and God working in wonderful and wild ways? Uh, reading, uh, remembering, remembering. Uh, each of us here, we have a moment in our lives, probably several moments, where we were reading God's word and, or we were, you know, we were just under this, boy, this fire in the belly that this needed to happen. I needed to take this step. And you did. And you did. And you experienced the provision and the power of God in ways you never had before. And too often, those moments, those stories, they get left in the closet, catching dust. They need to be remembered. They need to be remembered. They need to be recited recited, spoken about. With God, it is what he says, not what we see that matters most. The relationship with God, it's what he says, not what we see that matters most. Today, some of us, 100%, we're looking right into the face of a very, very hard obedience. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? God is saying, conviction, fire in the belly, the word of God, putting it, putting it to you, and you know it, and you're, you, you've been... <laughs> trying to make enough noise so she didn't hear it and enough distractions she can't get away from it what are you going to do our obedience brings us to a crisis of faith a crisis of faith where we say yes Lord deepens that faith that's already there maybe even in this little sapling size but it grows when we say yes Lord and you know that and it's right there God telling you to stop something he's telling you to start something he's telling you to move this direction stop heading that direction he's speaking to you and you know it Enter into the heart obedience. Stand on the limb of the tree. Join me out on the cement pad. God, if you don't come through, we're in big trouble. Mm. It's only a faith that's been fed that'll be there. Reading the word, remembering the moments and reciting. See, with God, it is what he says not what we see that matters most.